Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So have you uh, ever had uh, one of those moments? Do you have one of those moments in your story where there, where there is something that you really, really wanted to do, um, but you're absolutely petrified to do it? Um, if you're thinking about it, why don't we take a look at this clip? This is a guy that had an example of such a thing. If you haven't seen it, that movie is called What About Bob? Um, it's actually a prerequisite for membership at Northside. So we sort of, you've got to watch Passion of the Christ, then What About Bob? And then you can come to Welcome Sunday. But um, have, you ever, have you ever felt like um, Bob and a little Iggy on the side of the wharf like that? I mean, it, it may not have been diving, so to speak. Um, I don't know, may, maybe you... Maybe you wanted to ask someone out and you were terrified or maybe it was starting a new job or, or, or changing career path or, or moving place. Have you ever been in those moments where you wanted to do something and you were absolutely terrified? And have you, have you ever felt that, you know, that feeling, that tension? Ever felt that, that tension that you want to do it, but you sort of don't, can't do it, you're too afraid. And then have you felt that feeling when you take that step and you finally dive in metaphorically into that moment? Have you ever found that when you look back on the very thing that you're afraid of, uh, it's almost as if you could do it over and over and over again? Have you, have you found that? I mean, like you, you see that with, with kids when they learn how to dive. You, you, you could spend three days teaching a kid. Trust me, I've been there. I've done that. We're teaching a kid how to jump into a pool. And the minute they've jumped into the pool, uh, they want to go back and jump in and go back and jump in and go back and jump in. And they just do that for the rest of the day. Why? I think it's because in that moment, when you, take, when you take that step, you've actually grown. Taking that step of faith grows you even though you were terrified to do it. Now, if it's true of diving and careers and dating and all the rest of it, here's the question that we want to talk about tonight. Could it be true for your faith? I mean, I'm assuming that I'm talking to a room full of people here that want to do great things for God. We want to see God do big things, but we, we're afraid and we hesitate and we're not quite sure. We're going to talk about that tonight because we've been discovering in this series that that really God wants you to be a person of big faith. And I'll show you an example. Uh, fast forward your devices. It's the night service. Uh, or your Bibles through to Matthew chapter 14. Verse 31. Of, we read the early chapters of Matthew 14. But in verse 31, you have that amazing story of Peter walking on water. And then he starts to sink. And then in verse 31, Jesus reaches out his hand and he catches him. And he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Are you of little faith? Class, who's been here with week one, anyone want to have a guess what the Greek word for you of little faith is in that? Someone's going, yeah, I think it starts with Oli, right? It does oligopistoi. And so what it means in that moment is that Jesus is not having a go at Peter. He's not chastising him for doubting in the water there. Jesus is being cheeky. And yet again, Jesus says one of the only six times that he uses this little nickname for his followers, he says, ah, oh, little faiths. In other words, he's saying, Peter, you doubted me when you were walking on water, which, by the way, is pretty miraculous. But, you know, mate, Peter, little faith, you've got no idea what is in store for you and what I'm going to do through you. I'm going to build my church upon your confession of faith, Peter. <laughs> you've got no idea what's going to happen through you, Peter. So walking on water is nothing compared to the size and the capacity of faith that I'm going to grow in you. And that is God's desire for each and every one of us in this place, is to grow us into people who are big faith. 
big faith people. And so we've been looking at this series, The DNA of Faith, to say, look, really when you look at it, this, you can't look this stuff up in the Bible. It's not like you know, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 are the five things that we've been talking about in this series. It's not like the Ten Commandments. These things we've been looking at, things like uh, uh, pr- uh, practice teaching, um, things like uh, personal disciplines, purposed relationships. These things are all little building blocks. They seem to be the common elements to anyone's big faith story, right? And so in practice teaching, we said it's the doing that makes the difference. In purposed relationships, you and an I and an I. It means I'm, you, you, it, it, you just had to be there. Uh, it, it, it means that God purposes intersections with people for you to grow their faith and for them to grow yours. And then last week we heard uh, M wonderfully talk about the ways in which God uses the private things, the grind of the private disciplines to grow us the same way that we would grow if we go to the gym and do weights in private. And so tonight I want to talk about personal service. Personal service is one of these building blocks. And here's what personal service is. Personal service is when you sense that God wants to do something through you and then you hesitate, because side note, it scares the daylights out of you, (laughs) but then you do it anyway. And part of the reason why I want to talk about that tonight is because for some of you here tonight, you're in the middle of a wrestle with God about this. And by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not in a wrestle with God, you will get in a wrestle with him um, because he's just that sort of God. There will become a moment in your life when you're going to wrestle with this tension uh, that you will sense, that you will get what I call a God nudge. (laughs) A nice, heavenly, older, brotherly God nudge, elbow in the side. I mean, it's not a voice that's necessarily from heaven. It's, It's not some big revelation that comes down. You don't feel it physically, but it happens like this. You, You get this sense within you. You... You see a, a people group or, or you see a deep need in society that you think to yourself, man, something's got to get done about that. Uh, or, or you're in a place like this in the church and, and you're passionate about a ministry and on, on one hand that you, you can see, man, this, we need to be doing this in our church and for our community. Why isn't the church doing anything about this? Or, or maybe one of those people that are gifted in seeing all the things uh, that are a bit of a problem. You're a, you know, you're, a, you're a sort of social and organizational engineer at heart. And you just like to want to fix things. Any of those sorts of things, uh, I want to call a God nudge. That, that God nudges us in a way to start to move us towards doing things for him. Have you ever felt that? Now, here's what I want you to understand. Because this is where we're going tonight too. I know we've been talking about service and kids and... And some of you turned up going, oh, great, this is the, this is the one stitch-up sermon of the year. You know, where, where, we're gonna, where, where are the clipboards? Where are the cards? That, I'm telling you in advance, there's no clipboards, there's no cards. It's fine. I'm not going to ask you to serve. And it's not a guilt thing because um, here's, here's the key issue in this. The key issue and where I want to go tonight is, is that the key issue is not so much the need that is going to get met by your service. And look, I think all of that's important. I'm not, I'm not dismissing that. But here's what I want us to focus on. I think the key issue when we get these God nudge is, what is it that God wants to do with the size of your faith in that moment? In other words, um, how might God want to, to grow you? How might God be wanting to, to, to stretch you? What if... What if, in that God nudge, 
It's not guilt. It's, it's not pressure to do stuff. What if in that moment it is God saying, I want to push you outside of your comfort zone so I can do something amazing through you? Well, how do we do that? Because... Look, I see God do this all, all the time. Jesus is the great agitator. Uh, my, 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 he's always trying to agitate. He's always trying to um, shove a shoehorn in you. I think it's a shoehorn or a shoe stretcher. Uh, only the morning service know what this is. But my grandma, I don't know if your grandparents had one of these. Did you ever see these, where, these things where you would, my grandma, you would shove this thing into a shoe and you would twist the end of this wooden thing and the, the wood would splay out so you could basically stretch the leather in your shoe like an entire, anyone ever seen any of those? Yeah. Oh, good. All right. So you're going to get the analogy. <laughs> That's what I want to say today. It's imperfect, but but God wants to shove one of those into you. <laughs> could, could be better. I'd been working on it at lunch. <laughs> but God wants to stretch your faith. Why else would we turn up each and every Sunday? God wants you to be a person of big faith. And the only way that that happens is when Jesus agitates you and he stretches your faith and he does that. And you see that in Jesus all the time. You see him, oh guys, look, we're hanging out. We're having a good little teaching lesson together. And he says, let's, let's go off into enemy territory. And by the way, whilst we're in enemy territory, let's, uh, let's hang out in the town there. And I'm going to speak to a woman, which Jewish guys never do during the middle of the day. And we're just going to have a little bit of a conversation. Or let's go on a little bit of a boat trip. But rather than hanging around in the cool ports of Capernaum and the rest of it, let's, let's go to the other side of the Galilee where all the heathen hang out. You see, you've got to watch. And I, you know, when you read the Gospels, and I highly recommend that sometime. When you read the Gospels of Jesus, you watch how many different times he is shoving a shoehorn into his disciples in order to stretch their faith. And you see that in Peter. Get out of the boat, mate. Come and see what you can do here. Because he wants you to be a person of big faith. And so here we have yet another shoehorn experience for the disciples when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Well, what we'll see tonight, it wasn't Jesus. It was the disciples that fed the 5,000. And so here we have this scenario. People find out that Jesus is in town. A whole crowd of people, uh, maybe up to 10,000. I always thought it was 5,000, but you see in the verse there, it said there was 5,000 men besides the women and children. That's like 5,000 families. There could be like 10,000 people here. They're in the countryside. They're all probably revolutionaries because it was a hotbed of revolutionary activity up there in Galilee. But you have to understand, there's nothing up in Galilee. In fact, Google Earth it. There's still nothing up there in the Galilee. <laughs> it's just hillsides. And so all of these guys are on the hillside and it's getting late at night because Jesus has been teaching all day. And so the disciples are thinking, we need to call security just to usher these guys along because they're going to have to make it back home. And, uh, and the problem is no one's set up any of those Gosleme stands that they have at the football. You know, no one's, no one's got some Gosleme going on besides. So these guys have a bit of a snack. And so here we have... The Bible passage that we see tonight in Matthew verse 14. And they say, Jesus, what are we going to do? We need to move these guys home. They need to go home. They need to have a snack. They need to have a gosleme. And then Jesus says here in verse 16, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And so here's what we're going to look at. 
I, I want to look at the perspective of the feeding of the 5,000 from the disciples' perspective. Because if we do, then it, it shows us how to be people that can actually take that step of faith when we are scared to do it and make us the sort of people who will take that step of faith and do it anyway. And so, so here's the first principle, principle um, that we envisage and that we see here from the disciples. What do we do? The first thing that you do, Jesus says, you meet the need. If you're not sure, if you see it, if God gives you that nudge, you just meet the need. Here they are out in Galilee, nowhere. Jesus says, you feed them. Now, this is the tension that you and I are going to face as Christians at some point or other. It's that, that tension where you see that there's that need to be met and you feel the God nudge and you're like, I need to do something about that. And then you're faced with that in-between decision point and and you probably do what I do when I see these sorts of needs when I see this need and I probably need to do something about that I go Lord I'm going to pray about it I'm going to pray about it Lord that I heard a message that you ordained purposed relationships and I'm just praying that you will send the right person along to that and that they will they will see that need Lord and you will empower them to just take that step to go and meet that and they would be your hands and feet Jesus and, and and you know those sorts of prayers that you pray so long that you're like a little kid in the hope that God's still not listening by the time you've finished? <laughs> right? And what does Jesus say? You meet the need. You meet the need. And some of you are thinking exactly what the disciples are thinking. Because <laughs> then in verse 17 they say this. Oh, well, thanks for that, Jesus. But you know, we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish. And so they say what you and I would say, yep, see, I, I heard you, Lord, and I saw the need, and that was really good, but yep, got the wrong person. I, I'm, not, I'm not qualified. I, I, don't have the, I don't have the resources. I'm, I'm not sure. And, and here's what I want us to get whenever we feel this. And it's this. Your sense of inadequacy is not a disqualifier for your, you meeting that need. It's actually a prerequisite. You want to know why? Because the minute that you go into meeting that need, feeling like, oh, I've got this, you know what that starts to look like internally? It looks like this. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you chose me. And thank you, Lord, that, that they are going to be so blessed and so lucky that you sent someone like me to serve these people and me to be here. And Lord, I just, I am so humbled <laughs> that you would choose me to help them. Now, you see what's happening internally? The minute that that happens, you are skirting right on the edge of religion. Not Christianity, religion. Because religion always begins from a posture of superiority or difference. Oh, I'm equipped, I'm resourced, I know what to do, I will help them. And ultimately, can you see what happens when you serve like that? It's not about them, it's all about you. And in fact, on the other end of the spectrum, there's an aspect of inadequacy when we hesitate so much out of self-pity, when we withdraw so much from that, that it's also about you. Oh, I could never do that. I'm not qualified enough. God, I, I'm not sure that I'm the right person for the job. And can you see, if you move into that pity long enough, it's actually no longer about them either. It's about you. I remember hearing a quote once somewhere. It's probably like a Joyce Meyer or something, right? She said... Um, 
God doesn't call the qualified, but he does qualify the called. There's a great passage in 1 Corinthians 27 where it says, Does God choose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise? Does God not choose the weak things of the world to shame the strong? Does God not choose the lowly things of this world and the despised things? Why? So that no one may boast, except they might boast in him. So, are you feeling that God nudge? And are you, if, and are you feeling that hesitation? Are you feeling that tension? Because if, if you are, and if you're feeling that sense of inadequacy, you know the good news for you tonight? You passed the test. You passed God's prerequisite test in order to go and meet the needs of people because you're coming at it from a posture of inadequacy and reliance on him. So, where were we? Back to the story. Now, Matthew 14, 18. And so, so here they say, we, we, can't, we can't do this, Lord. We've got five loaves, two fishes. There's 10,000 people out there. There's no way that we're going to be able to work this out. And then you hear Jesus say this, bring him here to me. You know, I, I feel like he's in that moment. He's going, oh, for fish's sake. <laughs> bring him here. <laughs> yeah. Here's the principle. Jesus says in that moment, If you don't have much and you feel inadequate, just bring me what you can do. Some of you, some of you see that need in your Lord. Lord, I I, I can't do this. I'm I'm not theologically trained. And Jesus will say to you, okay, well, what have you done? Oh, well, I led a connection group once, Lord. Okay, well, that's great. Then bring me your connection group training materials and your leadership experience. Let's start with that. Some of you go, I don't have time, I'm flat stick. If you see my schedule, if you see my work week, I'm doing like 60 plus hours, I don't have time. Jesus says, that's fine. He always wriggles into stuff. Look, just give me an hour. <laughs> Let's have a look at the diary together. Let's have a come to Jesus talk with Jesus. <sighs> oh, but you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not sure. I, have, I haven't had any formal qualifications or training. All I ever do is just listen to people. I'm not sure I've got anything to offer formally in that way. I don't have any training at all. And he says, bring your ears to me. I have a bedside for you. So when you're feeling inadequate, Jesus says, just bring it to me. And it's critical you understand this now rather than later. And it's critical we understand this at this point in the story because it's this dynamic that makes this story miraculous. Here we have it in verse 19. And the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and gave their mean the fish and the loaves. They were satisfied and the disciples picked up over 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children and so um, here, here we have this moment. I sort of uh, imagine this moment where Jesus says, bring him to me. Bring him here. And then and here's, here's the problem. Side note, this is how we get sidetracked in this story. We've all heard this at Sunday school. This is the part of the story where we, where we start to wonder, how did Jesus actually do it? I mean, was he like a magician where he just sort of had a little tea towel over the top of the basket? And it's like, whoop. Out comes another roll. Whoop, out comes another roll. Or, or more, was it more mysterious? You know, was it like gremlins back in the 80s? Like you just, you just pour water on it. They start to fester at midnight and bread rolls and fish just start spilling. Have you ever thought this? Anyone ever thought this? I don't know. I'm, it's the first thing I'm asking Jesus when I get to heaven. How'd you do it? <laughs> but I, again, I imagine how the disciples would be in that moment. They're like, okay, all right, Jesus, 
let's, let's do the whole loaves and fish thing then, Jesus. And let's, let's walk out. Let's do this. I've got my, my five loaves and my two fish, 10,000 people out there. That's awesome. So um, here's your first one and your second one, your third one and your fourth one. And here's your lucky last fifth bread roll. And here's another one. 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 It just starts happening over and over again. And here's the point. You just bring what you can do so God can multiply what you did do. Last time I checked at maths, I was only two unit maths in high school. Last time I checked, God can't multiply a zero. He's got to work with something. And so even though you might see the need, and even though you might feel inadequate, you just bring something. And can't you see, just by bringing something, haven't all of the most amazing ministries around the world started in the smallest of ways? Something as innocuous as handing out bread rolls to people? Lots of ministries have happened that way. And here's why it's so important, because when ministry starts as small and as innocuous as that, then who gets the glory? I mean, look at the, the disciples in this moment. It's not like they went, oh, this is awesome. We should franchise this. You know, where's the retail food group? You know, it's, 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 we could save these guys. You know, we could, we could franchise this. We could take this all around Galilee. Like, no, they're not doing any of that. They're not saying, oh, you see what I did? Like, I, I had the sickest bread roll. It was awesome. You know, I just, it was, you see what I chucked one under the arm? It was all, they didn't do any of that. What were they saying? Did you see what God did? Wow, water to wine was one thing. Now look at this. And so it means that for you and I, when we're feeling inadequate in these moments, all that we've simply got to get through our heads is we bring just what we can do so God can multiply what we did do. That, friends, is where faith grows because you just trust him in that. I've got the resources, I'm not sure. That's what makes this a faith stretch. Uh, a, a great preacher, George MacDonald, once said, the one secret of life and development is not to devise a plan, that is not to devise and plan, but to do the moment's duty aright, and then, let, and then to let come, not what will, for there is no such thing, but what the eternal one wills for each of us and has intended in each of us from the first. You see... When you feel that nudging, when, when, when you feel, and, and it looks like this, it's like, oh, I, I want to I speak to that person. I want to serve in that area. I want to start this ministry outside the church. I want to be a part of that place over here. I, 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 I want to talk to my boss about organizing this thing. When you feel those God nudges in that moment, you know what that is? That's God wanting to stretch your faith. And so we bring in what we can do so he can multiply what we did do. I was praying for you guys this morning and God showed me. I thought, oh, it feels like a bread and fish sort of sermon. We all know this story. He said, no, 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 Sam, you don't, you don't, un you don't understand. He didn't literally say that to me. It's the way my mind works. You get the point. God was showing me this. He said, Sam, you know, whenever you speak to Northside today, what you're going to see in front of you is not a couple of hundred faces, but you're going to see in front of you the potential for a couple of hundred world-changing ministries. 
And so what it means for you and I is that the the only thing that is going to get in the way of that is this. I don't know how it goes because this is how I feel the same. We don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. I mean, we do want to do it. We, 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 we really do want to, we do really want big things to happen, but we're a bit like my, my little girl in preschool the other week. It's, you know, preschool's not until Thursday, and she's sitting on the stairs on Tuesday saying, Mommy, I'm just letting you know when we get to Thursday, I won't be going to preschool. <laughs> well, thanks, Adele. It's only Tuesday. We can deal with it Thursday. Well, I'm just letting you know on, on Tuesday, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go. <laughs> And then I have to have the lounge room chat about, honey, like you've got to understand, like you've got to go to preschool. Do you want to go to big school, don't you? And she's like, yeah, I want to go to big school. Well, you've got to go to preschool. I don't want to go to, pre- oh, I don't want to pre- go to preschool. <laughs> I think for all of us, we all want to go to big school. We all want to see God do amazing things. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see revival in Sydney. We want to see all of the big things. But when it comes down to these micro moments, we don't want to do it. Part of the reason is it's not just our fear and our sense of fear and inadequacy in that moment. But I think fundamentally it's because we don't like to feel uncomfortable. And whenever God stretches your faith, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable all the time when he stretches you in that way. And the way that you know that you're feeling comfortable, the way that you know you've been caught by comfortable, is you'll say phrases when you see these needs saying, I'm sure they're fine. Or for some of those who've been Christians for a long time, the other way that you know that you've been caught by comfortable is you say, you know what, I've been there, done that. Or I had my time. Or I'm at that season of life where the younger generation can do it and work it out. And you know, I see story after story after story of God using people like Moses where his ministry only began at 80. What it means for some of you who are 50 and above is to say, your ministry hasn't even started yet. And so what will your choice be this week? Because many of us here, we've been impacted and we've been changed by people who, would be willing, who were willing to be uncomfortable for God. Because, you know what, for some people, we were his nudge. <laughs> that conversation that led you into a church or led you to Jesus or that conversation that gave you healing and love and grace in the moment that you would eventually discover Jesus or that 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 family that brought you to church or those parents that invested you all of that was a product of a heavenly nudge and we've received that and when we come to understand that we know that we must pay that forward but if that is not good enough then we look and I say this all the time that if (laughs) our God is the sort of God where he never calls us to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself And if there was ever anyone that was willing to get uncomfortable, you see it in no better example as Jesus moving outside of the cosmic comfort that was heaven and becoming a man. So he could stand on a hillside and look at this story. (laughs) We've looked at the disciples' perspective, but but have you ever wondered how Jesus might have been thinking in that moment? First of all, I'm thinking in his humanity, maybe even Jesus was going, how's this whole bread thing going to work? Do I need to get a tea towel? Dad. <laughs> maybe even Jesus was wondering how this was work. Maybe, maybe the boys were walking out there with a couple of bread rolls and some fish and Jesus is praying like crazy in the background of the Heavenly Father and his humanity going, please, Dad, make this work. Or maybe in that moment, 
We're watching this miracle of feeding the 5,000. But his prayer was, he says, oh, Dad, you've only given them five and two. We, we can work with that. But you've only given me 12. And I'm supposed to change the world with them. They won't even give, they won't even give out the bread rolls. This works. Small faith, small steps like this, it works because we know it has to work because every one of us here tonight is a product of that miracle, not the loaves and the fishes. That's a nice Bible story. But the miracle of 12 ordinary guys that turn the world upside down and it continues today. And so my question for you tonight then, first of all is, is God nudging you? And you'll know if I'm talking to you, you'll know. In fact, the people that he's trying to nudge already know by now. Because I know that if God is speaking things into your heart and God is starting to nudge you, it's always been right beneath the surface because you're those people that have been wrestling with these things. And you've probably already sensed it about 10 minutes ago that he wants you to do something about this. Is he nudging you? And if he is, would you be willing to just bring what you can do so he can multiply what you did do. You know, um, as we finish tonight, there's a there's a guy over in who was over in the states, the great Robert Schuller. In fact, he was a, a televangelist, um, a, a reformed minister who has been hugely instrumental into the DNA of this church. And he's absolute proof of how this whole loaves and fishes thing worked. He's absolute proof of what happens when you take these small steps of faith and you, you give God what you can do and you allow God to multiply uh, what you did do. I've been to his church, the Crystal Cathedral. You might have seen it on a Sunday morning on the Hour of Power. and It's this amazing cathedral that's just all glass and the side of the cathedral opens up into the air because the guy started the church as a drive-in 50-something years ago. One of the buildings alone on that church is worth 40 million dollars and Robert Schuller and the Schuller Ministries you know a lot of people have trash talked them in recent years because that ministry went bankrupt and sadly that ministry itself now has faded from its former glory but I want to focus on where that guy started because that guy went as a faithful church planner a guy a kid straight out of Bible college to a drive-in in California with nothing but 500 dollars in his pocket with phrases that he would always say, like, if you dream it, you can do it. And on his first ever church service, took a whopping offering of $83.75. <laughs> over the years, his church grew to be 10,000 people, and he gave birth to some of the greatest leaders that modern Christianity has seen. Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, many call him the grandfather of the mega church movement. But it started with 500 bucks and an offering of 83 but a mission, their mission of their church that simply said, find a need and meet it, find a hurt and heal it. And I believe with exactly the same sorts of resources and the same sorts of mindset, I'm going, why can't we do exactly the same sort of thing? The choice will be with you as to whether you are willing to bring what you can so God can multiply what you did. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking that in this moment you would be moving amongst us. And I know already today, Father, you have in an amazing way 
continue to stir things on people's hearts this morning. There may be things way beyond the walls of this church. This was never a night about serving here, but serving you. And so, Father, I pray as we head to this time of ministry that you would begin nudging, continue to nudge, that you would speak to us, that in the quietness of this moment, you would reveal the things that you would have us do, and that you would birth in each and every one of us a naive, childlike faith to simply bring you what we can. Speak to us now, Father. Will you do business with us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.